Hello, welcome to Watering Seeds, a podcast conversation that reviews and reapplies the preached word to our own minds and hearts and to those of our listeners. The Watering Seeds is a podcast ministry of Covenant Reform Presbyterian Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Today, we will be discussing Sunday's sermon on Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32, entitled, uh, Walking Together. You can access that sermon on our website, covenantreform.net, and listen to it, and then come back or, or stay here, uh, follow along with the podcast conversation. Uh, my name is Sean McCann. I'm here with Chris Brown. Uh, we are both pastors at Covenant Reformed, uh, doing this podcast discussion together. So, welcome, Chris. Hello. How are you doing? I am doing well. Okay. Hey, I realized we also have the sermon up on YouTube now. Yeah. How do you how do you find it there? Our, our YouTube channel, and then one of our playlists is I think it's called uh, Worship Services or, or something like that. Okay. Yeah. That's a video. It's a video, right? Yeah. Okay. Great to see Sean. Yeah. So if you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can find it there. Let's just let's, we'll leave it at that. All right, uh, so our sermon uh, was about this topic of walking together, uh, the big picture idea uh, that we are as Christians are called not only to live our individual lives for Christ, we live together as the church. Uh, we walk uh, as we are made uh, holy in the image of Christ, to put off the old, to put on the new, but particularly that has an impact on how we live together, how we act and behave and speak uh, impacts the body of Christ, specifically to keep with the imagery of Ephesians, either builds it up or tears it down. So the sermon is essentially looking at Paul's five categories of behavior that either tears down or builds up the church. Um, the, the categories each have a vice, that is something we put off, a virtue, that is something we put on, and then Paul uh, gives us a basis a reason for the importance of the virtue and or the danger of the vice. Those reasons are always community reasons about how the individual behavior affects uh, the community. So um, I'm going to ask you, Chris, as we jump in, is there a gospel message in this sermon and passage? And, and, and what is it? Because uh, as I was thinking through this week, this could sound a lot like Benjamin Franklin. You know, he had his self-improvement notebook. He was famous for his notebook, and he had all the virtues he wanted to instill in his life. And he tracked them, and he kept notes of his virtues. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that's good for a Christian to grow in holiness. But there's a bigger picture story of the gospel that we never want to lose sight of. Right? Yeah. Do you have any thought yeah. on that as we... Yeah, I had, I had two thoughts. One based off of your illustration of Ben Franklin. Because oh, really? whatever yeah. virtues he's growing in, there were some there were some gaping holes <laughs> in his life that were caused by I think by his rejection of Christ. So whatever outward virtues he was growing in, it wasn't the same as biblical virtue, which flows from union with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So that's partly the first aspect of a gospel message is like you point out, there's new life in Christ. That's where it all starts. You said that up front. We were dead, we were given a new heart and a new life in Jesus. So whatever we're talking about for the rest of this podcast, and whatever you talked about for this whole sermon, it's, it's flowing out of the reality of the gospel. Um, it, it doesn't make sense without the gospel. 
it's like telling a dead horse to get up and walk around and be a good horse if we're not in Christ. So, um, so yeah, it's like beating a dead horse. Yeah, it's beating a dead uh, horse. Okay. Uh, but, so that's where it starts. The other one was, um, again, I think the gospel message is that when we, when we preach the law, which this is a preaching of the law in some sense, uh, the command itself doesn't have power to do anything to help us, but it does convict us. So when we're going through this list, we're being convicted. And there, I mean, I, I think if, if your hearers were not convicted, there's something wrong, <laughs> right? Like, there should have been conviction. Uh, because, I mean, when you read this list, we should be convicted. We're, we don't meet up to the standard God calls us to meet up to. So if somebody isn't a believer and they're hearing this message, there's conviction that comes. And then the gospel message is presented um, at the end, especially. Uh, God in Christ forgave us. That's the gospel message. So if you aren't a believer, there's the good news. Repent and believe in the good news. Mm-hmm. And for those who are believers, that's the good news. Right. You're failing to meet up to this. Repent and believe in the good news. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good. It's just, it can be easy to lose sight of um, as, yeah, whenever you get into law type passages uh, about Mm -hmm. um, live by sort of doing this and not believing. And we're going to talk about that next week too. Yeah. Because it's another passage telling you to do something. Right, right. (laughs) Okay. um, However, just because we're convicted doesn't mean we're not uh, absolved from responsibility. Right. Not putting off the virtue. So we need to be careful. Mm. about emphasizing both of those points. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do on the podcast is work through our five categories. Truth, anger, work, speech, and the heart. And how we as uh, Christians kind of relate to them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I've got some resources I kind of want to call attention to as we go Good. along. Uh, and actually, as I was, something helpful for me on at least two of these was uh, on the category of truth uh, and on the category of work or not stealing uh, was to look back at sermons I preached two years ago, the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. um, which I, whenever I preached through Exodus, I think it was 2017, the summer of 2017, I did a Ten Commandments series. Uh, and especially on those um, stealing and lying, they're... There's the surface issue that's kind of the big neon lights sin, and then there's all the other ones. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I would commend, uh, if not those sermons, <laughs> at least the, the study of those commandments as uh, helpful on those two headings. And maybe the, the, confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the larger catechism, mm-hmm. they kind of, they get into the depths yeah. of what that looks like. Right? Yeah, it's incredibly thorough. Yeah, uh, if, yeah so if you, weren't, if you weren't convicted by any of this, pick up the larger <laughs> catechism definition of the eighth and ninth commandments mm-hmm. and you will be convicted mm-hmm. <laughs> all right our first heading is truth uh, and this is pretty straightforward uh, the vice here is speaking lies and the virtue is speaking the truth so stop speaking lies start speaking the truth and you know, the basis is that you are members of one another there's trust as the foundation for unity a couple of the commentaries i read tried to do some um, some kind of cultural work in what would who exactly it coming out of Ephesus, would be prone to lying. Hmm. I wasn't uh, really convinced one way or the other that he was speaking to a specific demographic or cultural setting uh, that is more prone to lie or not lie. Uh, I just thought, generally speaking, um, 
it's one of the commandments and it's part it's of our fallen nature. People, people have trouble with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe let's talk about forms of speaking lies. Mm. I tried to list some of them. I don't know if any of them rung true to you uh, that maybe you've uh, I don't know, struggled in your own life, you've observed in the body of Christ as being a, ch- a struggle or um, extra uh, destructive amongst Christ's body. Yeah, I mean, at different times I've seen different different things in myself and in others. Um, I think some, it, and it partly depends on who the person is. I mean, gossip, I think you mentioned, it is, sometimes it is telling the truth. It's just in a hurtful way. Uh, so I think you applied it later to another area. I don't remember, to the heart one, I think. Um, Maybe. Uh, but but slander is a definite, um, yes, yeah, slander in the church is big. I, and, I, and I think it's people say, well, we're just, we're just telling it like it is. It's like, well, if it's a half-truth and you're just presenting part of a person um, and you're presenting it in a way so as to destroy them or hurt them, that's slander. That's pretty big in the church. Uh, I think at least for the public theological scene, that's pretty big. Yes. Um, I guess maybe like personally, locally, it's less big, but it's still an issue. You mentioned exaggeration. Yeah. It's another big one. Yeah. Um, not so much outright lying. I don't see that so much. Uh, but it's this other stuff. Insinuation. Yeah, insinuation. Um, yeah. And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but the, the attitude we have when we speak hmm. uh, about assuming the worst. You, you talked about that in a little yeah. bit. That's the biggest. I think that is the biggest. Yeah. Assuming the worst of someone else rather than giving them the benefit of the doubt when we speak. Yeah. Uh, Let so, me read a quote on that. Yeah. It's a book in my hands called Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Uh, it's incredibly helpful and convicting book. The subtitle is Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. Mm. So not the big shining light sins as much as uh, the ones we struggle with that seem maybe more okay or not as a big deal, right? And so he says of slander, he says it's closely related to the sin of gossip. Slander is making false statements or misrepresenting another person in a way that defames or damages the person's reputation. And he says political campaigns are notorious for this, right? Then he asked, do Christians slander? Yes, we do. We slander when we ascribe wrong motives to people, even though we can't see their hearts or know their particular circumstances. We slander when we say another believer is not committed, when he or she does not practice the same spiritual disciplines we do or engage in the same Christian activities we engage in. We slander when we misrepresent another person's position on a subject without first determining what that person's position is. We slander when we blow out of proportion another person's sin and make that person appear to be more sinful than he or she really is. And when you define it like that, it does seem... Mm. Um, and I was trying to think of a concrete example of this. Um, and I do. I think I said it in the sermon, but I do think it's easy to attribute to another Christian fear. Yes. Um, and so a very concrete example would say, in the, in the time of coronavirus, mm. right? This or that person is only acting in this way or treating certain restrictions this way because they're afraid. Well, that, that's slander. Mm-hmm. You're accusing them of sin, right? You're accusing them of acting out of sin. Now, if they told you, I'm afraid, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Uh, but if you're accusing them of being afraid of man or afraid of death or whatever it is, 
uh, you are slandering, you're ruining that person's reputation. And I remember that it's funny because the, the, the speaking the truth and slander go together, but so does not stealing. Because the catechism talks about not when you slander, you steal someone's reputation mm. from them. And it's like uh, emptying out a pillow. I think this is an old example. Emptying out a pillow of feathers in the wind. That's how easy it is to steal someone's reputation. But to get your reputation back is as hard as going after every one of those feathers. I'm putting the back in the pillow. Mm. Uh, and so slander not only breaks the commandment about not lying, it breaks the commandment about not speaking the truth. Mm. Um, all right, well, let me, before we move on to the next one, uh, our basis is your members of one another. So why is this so important in the body of Christ? Yeah, you mentioned uh, trust. Truth and trust go hand in hand. And if you can't trust each other because people have been lying to each other, then how can you work together? How can you worship together? How can you be honest with each other? Um, it's it fights against everything that we were saved to do and be as a people of God, uh, to lie to each other in these ways. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you uh, assume the worst of me, I mean, if Mm -hmm. you assume Mm -hmm. that my motives are sinful, Mm -hmm. you'll never trust me Mm -hmm. and I can never talk to you. You have undercut. Chris has never done this to me, but you, (laughs) you will undercut the ground upon which I stand. So Mm -hmm. we can never have an honest conversation. If I know that you don't believe, if you are assuming the worst of me, mm-hmm. if you are doubting my intentions and my motives. It's sort of like trying to talk to a radical skeptic just about Christianity. You're like, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And if they've taken a position of doubt just in truth right. at all, there's nothing you can do to convince someone who's decided there's no such thing as truth. Right. So it's the same with our relationship to each other. If, yeah. if we've decided this person is evil or certain things about them that aren't true. Right. Um, or maybe they are true, but we don't have grounds for believing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, we'll never be convinced otherwise. Yeah. There, there's a phrase that I, I came across. Um, it said, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's good. It's called Hanlon's hand razor is what yeah, it's called. Yeah. Okay. But I think to be charitable, we could replace it and say uh, something like never attribute to malice what could be interpreted differently. Right. Maybe it's my fault. I yeah. misunderstood. Exactly. Instead of saying, well, that person's stupid. Right. It's, yeah. well, it's my fault. I, yeah. I misunderstood it. Yeah. Or they just misspoke or, yeah. you know, any number of things. Yeah, I think what it looks like is always giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. Right? You always, you work hard to assume mm-hmm. the best of someone else. Mm-hmm. Especially in the body of Christ. You know. Okay, let's jump to anger. Uh, anger is a big one. The, the pattern is changed here that Paul establishes. Instead of going vice, virtue, basis, he goes virtue, vice, basis. Uh, and I said in the sermon, I think this is a, a command to be angry. Now, I, don't, I struggle with that a little bit uh, because I think it's not the same as speaking the truth or working hard and not stealing. Uh, but I think it's giving us, at a minimum, an appropriate sense of anger, which I called uh, righteous anger. Uh, and I think a question that uh, somebody asked me this week, and I think we all as Christians struggle with, is sort of, where's, where's the line, <laughs> right, between uh, righteous anger and sinful anger? How do I know 
if it's a virtue or a vice. And it's weird to have almost two sides of the same experience uh, be both, in a sense. So I don't know. I, I have uh, some thoughts on that that I kind of was reading a little bit this afternoon, but I'm curious if you had any questions or thoughts on kind of the difference between righteous and sinful anger or is there a litmus test in your own heart to sort of know which mm. one you're committing? I don't know. Did you yeah. thought about that much? Yeah. At the beginning of all this COVID stuff, when everybody was freaking out, and <laughs> there, people were slandering, and people were angry. I was like, I need to read some stuff on this. And so I, I got a book by John Downname, I think, a Puritan. And it was, I think it's called On Righteous Anger, or else it's called On Sinful Anger. I can't remember. Uh, but it was good. And... Uh, he he points out that he points out what you point out in your sermon, which is anger is supposed to be if it's righteous, directed at the right things. So whatever made our Lord mad should make us mad um, if it's appropriate. And there's also the quantity of our anger. How mad are we? That's important. And then also how long are we mad? The quant the quality the how long? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, whatever the word is for that. Uh, if it's excessively long, mm-hmm. it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are the three yeah. he points out. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, and that the, that's what Paul talks about here about the sun not going down your anger. Right. That the there length is, of it. Yeah. So I, I found an article uh, by uh, David Pallison uh, on anger, uh, and he talks about uh, he defines anger as simply saying I'm against that. So anger is this feeling of you're against something, which helps us think, ask some questions uh, about our anger. And one is the object. What are you against, right? And is it something God's against or not? And so that's helpful to sort of narrow the focus of um, our anger to see if we're angry at the kind of the right things. Uh, second is the emotions behind that, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you, have, you, you see a perceived wrong. Uh, but then you you have this stance of disapproval. But what is that emotionally like for you? Uh, and you know, the scripture speaks of God being slow to anger. Mm. So that's one of the keys, to, he says, to anger is slow down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Slow down your anger. Um, there's, a, there's a sense that uh, we need to have, and Bridges talks about this in his book, self-control yes. in our anger. Because uh, there is, it can easily explode uh, and kind of run wild. Right, so the Proverbs, that's where you're heading, right? Yeah, yeah, I want to read a proverb on yeah. this. Um, yeah, there's a lot of Proverbs on anger. Uh, but I'm going to read Proverbs 29.11. that says, a fool, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Mm. Uh, and that's that emotional side. So we can, and I said this, certain, we can have anger at the right thing, but it lacks self-control. And we are then that's sinful it. in that anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a third uh, category is the action. So what does what action does it lead to? Is it a righteous action? Is it a righteous action? Mm-hmm. The means don't justify. The, I'm sorry, the ends don't justify the means. Mm-hmm. So uh, what what action? Does, do you have anger at the right thing? Are you self-controlled in your anger? What is the action you take? And so an extreme example of this, right, is you... We, You've heard a couple stories of people bombing an abortion clinic, right? Mm-hmm. Is it is that a thing to be righteously anger, angry at? Yeah, probably, <laughs> right? Is it self it might be self controlled anger, but to commit an act of murder 
is not a means that justifies the end, or an end that justifies the means, right, right, whatever it is. Right. But he talks about in this article on anger that there is constructive anger. Uh, and he, as he uses an example of Winston Churchill, World War II, con- having constructive anger at uh, the Nazis in control mm-hmm. in Germany right. and channeling that towards a productive end. Um, now, most of us aren't going to fight Nazis in battle, but uh, I feel like those are some helpful what's the object of our anger, what's the emotions, or is it self-controlled or not, and what's the action uh, that that anger provokes out of us. I want to talk about the last part about anger. Yeah. The reason he gives yeah. about it. Is that, is yeah, that go for it. Yeah. Because he um, says he ge- it gives opportunity to the devil. Now, that's a big deal. I mean, he doesn't say that about anything else. What gives opportunity to the devil is, is sinful anger. Um, you're in. I mean, I loved your picture of that. We, I went home and talked to my daughter about it, and she she got it. Like, Did she? yeah, right. yeah. If you're angry in the wrong way, it's like asking Satan to come hang out. Yeah, come and mess up our family. Yeah. Come and mess up the yeah. church. We would love it if yeah. you would come and mess up the church. Yeah. Isn't it obvious? We're so mad at each other for stupid yeah. reasons. Uh, yeah. Hmm. It's dawn. It's, yeah. It's funny. What it thought me think about was, I think it's Campus Crusade, and they have this philosophy that whenever they have a Bible study on, on campus, they always have an empty seat. They always leave an extra seat because they, they want someone to come in the door. Hmm. And I, I thought that's kind of, that's a neat evangelistic thought. But the anger always has this empty seat hmm. that Satan is invited in. Well, I mean, maybe let's flesh that out. How does. Because I think it's, I think it's particularly Satan's invited into the body of Christ, yes. not into my heart. Although that's true, mm-hmm. like if I have unresolved anger in my heart, that is giving opportunity for the devil. But particularly, mm-hmm. this is talking about. So how does the devil get a, or maybe I should ask, mm-hmm. when the devil gets a foothold in the body of Christ because of sinful anger, what does he do? I mean, mm-hmm. how does you know what I'm saying? Yeah. How does that? I mean, I think his goals. He wants to destroy the church. Yeah, right? he he hates the church. That's been his goal for. From day one, destroy the church. Uh, so first get us guilty. But now he knows, well, even if... Now Christ has died for our guilt and our sin. There's nothing he can do to stop that. God's forgiveness of the church. So what he'll do is try to ruin our order and our peaceableness and our comfort and our encouragement of each other and our fellowship with each other. Um, so he wants to create a spirit of divisiveness. So anger opens that up because of the effects it has on other people. Mm-hmm. So somebody blows up somebody else. You mentioned at some point, your blowing off steam is a big deal to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like it can make them afraid of you. Mm-hmm. It can make them mad at you. Mm-hmm. It can make them dislike you uh, and think the worst of you. Uh, and so we don't want that with each other. Uh, we want to be able to labor together, believing the gospel together and sharing the gospel together. So anger comes in and, I think, makes us think the worst of each other and feel the worst about each other. Mm-hmm. And Satan yeah. wants to tempt us that way, yeah. to think poorly, yeah, that's relate good. poorly. Yeah, so it creates distance, creates mistrust, mm-hmm. create, it creates wounds mm-hmm. right, that aren't healed uh, over time, which can create cracks mm-hmm. within the body of Christ, within the church. The ang- the the answer, excuse me, to this is so simple. It's con- it's repent and be forgiven, mm. um, which is what we have at the end of the chapter. So we have at the beginning of the next chapter. I mean, it's so, 
it's so straightforward. Um, but it's hard. I think there's a sense in which anger is somewhat downplayed or somewhat kind of culturally appropriate um, because we do have this idea of just blowing off steam or just saying something in anger. I don't, don't really mean it. And, or it gets the job done, right? It got people to do what I wanted. Yes. got the job done in my workplace. It got the job done in the political sphere. Yeah. So why not in the church? Right. Why not in my house? Right. Yeah, which is a horrible, yes. wicked thought. Yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, number two, we're, we're going slow through our first two, but anger. Uh, our virtue is righteous anger, but be careful mm. because it very easily in a fallen creature leads to sinful anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, work, number uh, number three, verse 28. Our vice is stealing. Our virtue is honest work. And our basis is because honest work uh, enables generosity to care for uh, the needy in the church. Um, it seems like in a culture like ours, uh, we don't come into contact with a classical form of stealing mm. as much. I don't know. Maybe we do. Um, Asheville downtown. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What might stealing look like in oh. in in our congregation? Mm. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, stealing time is a pretty big one. I mean, misusing your employer's time. Um, I did want to ask if this could be applied more broadly to stealing time from God. So outside of the workplace we've only got so many hours in the day right Mm -hmm. and we're pretty obsessed with like recreation entertainment to what extent is some of that stealing god's time and to what extent is it important for us to to have recreation or entertainment what what do you think yeah is that an appropriate interpretation of that, or my? I? I think you can steal I don't from want to go God too far. Yeah, this. and there's a biblical idea of stealing, of, by refusing to give to the church. Right, this stealing from God. Yes. Uh, as far as stealing time, I mean the Bible is pretty clear about wise use of time. Mm. Um, it speaks in Proverbs and James against laziness. I do think we don't want to strictly define work. As only your employer, right, right. Yeah. I mean, you, you, if you own a home, you work around the home. Uh, you, you know, work in your community. You work, in, hopefully, in volunteer ways. You know, you work volunteering in the church. Um, I hadn't thought about God giving us a certain amount of time to use and how He's called us for His glory, mm-hmm. and essentially an improper use of that as being stealing, yeah. or as. I think some people are crime of theft. legalists about it. Yeah. Like, this is stealing his time, but yeah. not that thing. Hmm. And I don't mean that. Yeah. I just mean we maybe that is something worth considering for ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, think, I do think it carries over to, you know, it's called the Protestant work ethic. Right. right? And it's sort of Where people dismiss Western it. civ history. Well, they do now. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. yeah. Which I, I find it remarkable that it's dismissed. Yeah. Because I think laziness is biblically yeah. frowned upon. Yeah. Uh, and the Protestant work ethic just comes from the Bible. Yeah. What's so. that quote about Americans that they, uh, they work at their 
play, they mm. worship at their work, uh, and they play at their worship. Hmm. Right. And that's not the Protestant word. No, that's not. not how it's supposed to that's be. not. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I sought to apply it more towards mm -hmm. um, yeah. really taking value in our work, even when our work, I, mean, I think there's a, in our generation, because we're technically speaking the same generation, millennials, <laughs> yes. uh, there's this kind of stereotype against um, kind of the millennials can't hold down a job because mm -hmm. they're always searching for the perfect, meaningful uh, job. And I think that's elusive, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you look at uh, the, the greatest generation. They just came home and they just worked the same job in the same town their whole lives. And it was wonderful. So I do think there's a message of this to someone who has some sort of vocational angst, right? Someone who doesn't feel like their job has value. They're making wonderful change in the world. Uh, and that, that there is value in just honest work, in just a day's labor. And the reason is we give to the body of Christ, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the reason God blesses even our meager efforts is so that we have enough uh, to give. And, and one interesting, I think, connection is that theoretically you could steal and therefore have more to give to the church. Uh, but there's those things are antithetical to each other. Mm -hmm. So no one who is, you know, theft is motivated by, right, your need or your greed mm -hmm. or just laziness, right? They're, it's not motivated by generosity. Mm -hmm. And so um, those things don't match together or fit. Um, so I think it's a, it's a challenge to us to think about hard work, earning a fair wage, uh, selling a valuable product, whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, at a fair price. And then giving to the church, to the body of Christ. Um, it's sort of like, it makes me think a generous view of God, God's providence, creates a generous view of giving and working. Mm -hmm. Because if you think, I don't need to steal because I trust God. Uh, I trust his providence. He's going to allot things properly for me. Um, that's a generous view of God. That means I can just work. And that means I can give to other people. I can give to those who are in need. Anyway, that's yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. All right, let's let's keep going uh, before we run out of time. Our fourth category is speech. Uh, this, I think, the last two are the catch-all, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but speech, this comparison between corrupt talk, the vice, and good talk, the virtue. Uh, and I, I loved explaining that translate that word corrupt as it could be translated rotten or filthy or rancid. Um, there's a whole lot of words that fall uh, into this uh, category, kind of the sins of the tongue. Um, I wanted to read a quote from another book. This is called War of Words. Uh, it's by Paul David Tripp. It said, the subtitle is Getting to the Heart of Your Communication Struggles. Uh, and he quotes this verse, right, from Ephesians. And he, he goes on to, to write about it. If I'm going to serve another with my words, Paul says there's three things to consider. I must consider the person. Why or What do I know about this individual that would shape what I say? I must consider the problem, which is according to their needs. What is this person's real need in this situation? And how should it guide what I say? And I must consider the process that would benefit those who listen. I'm not just spouting off. My communication should have a redemptive purpose. It should benefit the listener. Uh, I mean, I think this challenges so much of our communication. Uh, most of our communication is 
either kind of neutral or it's negative. Hmm. Uh, but to be thinking, I mean, I don't do this. So this is so <laughs> convicting. To be thinking about all of my sentences, um, about being very intentional in how I speak to others. I don't know. This this one probably challenged me more than any of the hmm. any of the rest. Any of the, any of the ideas of corrupt talk in particular stick out to you? Yeah. Well, in that book. Uh, that I read that, I guess it was at the, again, I read that war of words at the beginning <laughs> of, uh, at the beginning of COVID. Oh really? Yes. And okay. I printed out, I printed out like a list of the verses that he oh, yeah. cited okay. and I pray through them every day. I've prayed yeah. through them every day since the beginning of COVID. Okay. Cause it's like, that's too, I mean, what is it? James says that the yeah. tongue is, it's like a fire from hell. Like it's a. Yeah. It's like a rudder of a ship who can control this thing. Yeah. And it, it, it determines eternal destinies. Yeah. Life and death are in the tongue. Yeah. What we say to somebody can devastate them or it can give them life. Like the words of the wise bring healing. Yeah. It's like honey, uh, but the words of the fool like destroys a person. Yeah. So um, corrupting talk, thinking about corrupting talk. It's like whatever makes the church go bad. Like it's sours the church it's yeah, has a dead deadening it's like it falls yeah. out and deadens somebody and like you just pointed out at the end thinking about our intent in what we say is the, the yeah. point yeah. here yeah, yeah. uh and it, that's the most difficult thing and i think what what you just said what you just quoted it makes me think uh, uh i guess the average person's thinking so you're telling me I need to be thinking about everything I do. I have to be a thoughtful person about every word I say. It's like, well, yeah. Yeah, Christ calls us to a high standard. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, it's really, because it, it really is a, quite a burden. Yeah. And I was going to read the James 3 passage as well, because it's the, the tongue is so incredibly powerful. And I, I think there's two parts to this. Well, there's the put off and there's the put on. Mm. So... Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us, the first step is stop saying hurtful things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's like, okay, now that I can keep my mouth shut, now I, by default, I do think about what I'm saying. So the, I thought about this uh, incident when I was in uh, middle school. As I went over to my buddy's house, and he had a new BB gun. And so we went out on his back porch, and we set up some cans on the railing, and we just shot at these cans for like an hour. It was so much fun. We just were hanging out. Uh, and then later that night, um, his neighbor comes over to talk to my friend's mom. And the neighbor says, there's holes all in my windows at my house. <laughs> for you all, do you know what could have happened? And my friend and I, just our hearts sunk uh, because we had no idea. It was We were thoughtlessly shooting a BB gun and we end up breaking all of these windows at our at the neighbor's house. even real. They were far enough away. We didn't hear it. We had no idea we were doing this to our neighbor's house. And how our words are like mm -hmm. that when we thoughtlessly use our... Because we all know. I mean, we have word phrases lodged in our brain that somebody said. I mean, I'm not going to say who it was or what they said. <laughs> I have something from Sunday that somebody said. And it's, it's been lodged in my brain all week. And I know when they said it, it was off-the-cuff, thoughtless thing. And I, 
it wasn't about me, so mm-hmm. it's not a personal yeah. offense. Yeah. But it's a, um, we need, we do need to give one another the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. That we do need gracious with our neighbors that say thoughtless. Or those words will stick forever. So they'll stick forever. Yeah. So that is a, that's an us problem. Yeah, but yeah. it's also a community problem. Mm-hmm. That, um, we cannot let these words just fly. Hmm. Um, I don't know, you were, you, were you just turning to something? Yeah, that James passage. Oh, okay. I don't want to read it if you're going to read it. No, go ahead. But it did remind me... Uh, the first time I caught this, it kind of blew my mind, but he goes, he says in chapter three at the beginning, not many of you should be teachers. And the reason is because of our tongues. Yeah. That, that's his reason. It isn't about the other stuff in scripture about the character of the man and the calling, the conviction, competency. He's like, no, it's the tongue is the problem. And that's why not many of us should be teachers. Um, we know we'll be judged with greater strictness. We stumble. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. So uh, that's why initially I always wrote manuscripts because <laughs> I knew I was going to say something right. stupid. Right. Uh, I knew my own heart. I've been there. Control my tongue. Yeah. So um, yeah, the tongue and teaching and yeah, the heart of the Christian. Yeah. It's like we have a high standard. Yeah. Yeah. Christ calls us to. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. yeah, I mean, there should be, I think a, the sanctification process would look like, I have something I want to say, but I didn't say it. <laughs> and that's like the greatest Holy Spirit victory of that day. I mean, yeah. like I was going to say something and I paused and thought about how that would be heard by someone else. Mm. And so I didn't say anything at all. Or I wasn't going to say anything, but this whatever happened entailed that I needed to say something clearly and in a helpful way. And I actually did it. Right. Uh, right. It's one of, but what are both of those? Right. Yeah. That is, yeah, that is sanctification. Mm-hmm. And so I hope, I hope our Christians listening can think about moments this week where I'm not going to say what I shouldn't say, but mm-hmm. I am going to say something. Maybe I wouldn't have said. Mm-hmm. So, cause we want to give life, not death with our words. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, the final category is the heart, uh, which I uh, really equate to the root mm-hmm. of these other things. And we either, we have a, the vice is a bitter root, and the virtue is a tender root. And really what's beautiful as this comes together with we've experienced the kindness, the tenderness, and the forgiveness of God. I mean, that's wonderful how it's brought, yeah, it's brought back in. Um, uh, just that that concept of of uh, kind of sensitivity that comes with the word tender, tender-hearted, compassionate. It can also be translated. Uh, the image that came to mind uh, was a, a a mother lion, like a lioness, right, with jaws that can kill, mm. uh, but picking up her cubs in her mouth and just gently mm. carrying them. Um, just that that's. The tenderness with what God could crush us, mm. <laughs> but in Christ He teaches, He treats us with this uh, incredible uh, tenderness, and really that lies under so much of this: uh, our forgiving others. And really, the question is, how could we not? How could we who have experienced such tenderness uh, not be tender towards others? Mm. But we aren't mm. at <laughs> times. So we need we we that's why we need to root out. Uh, the bitter heart uh, that uh, plagues many of us. you have any thoughts on this last point? I did want to 
mention, well, we are kind of out of time, but the bitter heart. What is a bitter heart and how, where does it come from and how do you, how do you, how can you change a bitter heart? I mean, that's, yeah. if you think of a bitter hearted person, yeah. like, what is that? Yeah. Well, I guess what comes to my mind is sort of a, I mean, it would be as someone who views the world through legalist glasses or lenses, mm. sort of who, I think bitterness usually comes when we think we, we didn't get what we deserve mm. or we got what we didn't deserve. Right, one way we did other. it. We did it. Why can't they do right, it? Right, yeah. right. But the gospel turns that upside down. Mm. Right. I don't. Uh, I I think. I mean, I think the answer is right here to a mm. bitter heart is mm-hmm. just considering on and dwelling on uh, the tenderness of God towards us. Mm. And you know the 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 parable that Matthew tells, or that Jesus tells in Matthew uh, eighteen about the unforgiving servant. Right. The the one he has been forgiven himself. This astronomical amount, I mean, millions of dollars in today's money. Uh, and then he goes and chokes out the lower servant that just owes him uh, a few thousand dollars. Hmm. Uh, and just the great warning at the end of that passage about not entering the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Um, and I remember preaching on that and thinking we, we need to dwell on the, how much we have been forgiven, right? that we might be able to extend that same grace and forgiveness to others. He who's forgiven much, yeah. loves much. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of renewal. There's a lot of hope in this passage of this is who God's making us. This is how God's renewing his church. These are individual traits uh, by which uh, the individual members build up the body in love. Uh, and you know, go back to the opening illustration. It really involves us laying down our rights, in a sense, uh, to promote the rights of the communal body of Christ among whom we are members. So it's a one it's a it's a wonderfully practical message that ends on a wonderful note uh, of the gospel and our forgiveness in Christ uh, and how that sort of characterizes how we forgive others. So that'll with that uh, we will uh, come to a close uh, of this episode of Watering Seeds. Thanks for listening to us. I'm glad you have joined us uh, today. We hope you found this conversation helpful as you seek out to seek to live out your faith this week. Uh, this coming Sunday, we'll be uh, uh, hearing a sermon Pastor Chris is preaching, the first two verses uh, of chapter 5. So we'll be discussing that uh, this coming week on the podcast. Uh, we did get some questions this week that we tried to answer. We love that. So if you, as you listen, if you have questions for us, uh, please just talk to us or shoot us an email. Let us know. Uh, and we'd love to try to answer them on the podcast. So until next week, Grace be with you all.